Thanks so much for finding us here at the Morning Glory Project. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani-Fassbender, and my co-producer, Angela Washington, and I are ever so proud and honored to bring the stories of amazing people to you. These are survivors, thrivers, innovators, and trailblazers who tell us not just their stories, but how they got through whatever they got through to get to where they are. We hope you find them as inspiring as we do. Thanks so much for listening and for giving us the honor of your time. Well, today I'm doing something a little special for me on the Morning Glory Project and for you listeners as well. And that is that I am inviting a guest who has become a bit of a mentor to me, even though she has never met me (laughs) until now on video. My guest is Nikki Trakos. Nikki has been an artist her entire life, though in her early career, she thought she had to choose a more, quote, practical and profitable career way to earn a living. But her creative self found its way into every job until eventually she decided that she wanted to be a full-time artist, but she had no desire to be a starving artist. So today, Nikki is the living embodiment of her company's name, Life Eye Design. She has built a successful art career as a teacher, as a creative who sells her own work, and now as a published author with an upcoming book to help others develop their artistic skills. While the medium that Nikki has chosen through her career may have changed many times, the goal's always been the same, and that's to have the courage to try and to find joy in the moments of exploring. Known best for her, quote, watercolors made simple, online classes, and new book of the same name. Nikki has a casual, approachable, easy, comfortable, reassuring style about making art and inspires other artists to adopt it too. It's not about achieving perfection, but about having the joy of experiencing artistic expression, developing techniques so that the new artists can create art that pleases them, and for each creative person to find their own style. Nikki Trakos, welcome to the Morning Glory Project. I'm thrilled to have you this morning. Thank you, Betsy. I'm so excited to be here and chatting with you. Well, you are a result of one of my personal goals in that was in 2022. I have wanted to learn watercolor for de- literally decades, and I've done a thousand other things, and many, many of them in creative endeavors, but never watercolor. It's just something I love the way watercolors look, and they're beautiful. But listeners, I don't want to give you that this impression is just about learning watercolors, because I was really inspired when I saw how Nikki teaches, how reassuring she is, how welcoming, and also the title of that business, <laughs> Life I Design. Because me, the storytelling snoop that I am, when I saw the title Life I Design, that told me that perhaps Nikki titled this because there was a time when, in fact, she wasn't living a life of her own design. I was suspicious. And when I chatted with her earlier before this recording, she confirmed my suspicion. Can you tell me a little bit about Life I Design and how you came to it? Sure, absolutely. I think I have to take you back a little bit before I bring you to the moment where I decided to start living a life that I designed. I grew up in a family of new immigrants to Canada where my parents had a very strong work ethic. They were in a new country with, you know, learning a new language, newly married themselves, young kids. And they taught us that, you know, you had to work hard, get a good paying job, 
start your own family. And, you know, that was a successful life to them. And I've always had an artistic calling and felt that creativity was a big part of my life, whether it was how I played or in my drawings in my personal sketchbook. But art and the practice of art in school especially was almost it was almost a bird course. So anyone who could draw or, you know, did well with painting um, and did well in art, it wasn't really taken seriously. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to high school, although I had this creative passion, I didn't have anyone around me who were in a creative field or did anything artistic. So I thought I, I have to go to university, get a good paying job. Um, I knew I was marrying my high school sweetheart, so I needed to save money to buy a house and to start my life as I was taught. And that was okay for the time being, but it got to a point where I would look at people around me and I would see others in creative fields or expressing their artistic side and making a living from it, being able to be an artist, express that side of them and not have to work at a job nine to five and being unhappy just because you need to pay the mortgage or, you know, feed the family. And that was something that um, I struggled with for a little while. You mean that kind of that conflict between can I be an artist and still be a, a financial contributor in the way that you wanted to be, have a life of the level that you wanted to achieve. Yeah. And I, I even think just, can I be an artist? Mm. Am I an artist? Am I good enough to be an artist? What right do I have to even want to be called an artist? For me, when I thought of art, it was art that I would see in museums painted by master painters. And there was no way that I could even see myself getting from my sketches in my sketchbook to you know, being that great artist, I didn't realize how much there was in between. Mm. Again, I didn't have the knowledge, the guidance back then, we're going to date ourselves, Betsy, I didn't have the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right, like resources to, to really figure out, could this artistic side of me be expressed? And what does that look like? Well, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, Nikki, how parallel my experience is in a different, I'm, I'm new to visual arts in this way, though I've dabbled on my own. But as a writer, I, you know, I read, you know, John Steinbeck and Pat Conroy and, you know, all, all of these masterful greats and thought, well, they've already done it. You know, I couldn't possibly do it as well as they can. How dare I, how dare I call myself a writer? Even try, right? Well, and it's felt like such a lofty thing. Like, who am I? You know, that kind of um, I don't know if you ever heard this phrase. It, it may not come from your your parents' culture, but that kind of don't get too big for your own britches. You know, don't who do you think you are? You're not so fancy. It's like that was a art and writing and creativity was a luxury. Did you call it a bird course? Yes, a bird course. That's what we called it in high school. What's what's a bird course mean? So a bird course is a course that's just really easy. It was one of the you know a fluff course you could take in high school to get a credit and a high grade to bump up, bump up your average. So because you really didn't ever get a poor grade in art, because I guess it really is based on your effort, whether it was a good drawing or not. And again, that's all really personal, what, what's good or what's not good art. And that's something that I talk about more in my classes, but, um, so it was just an easy course. Yeah. I've just never heard that term bird. Course. Oh, really? Maybe it's a Canadian thing or like <laughs> an 80s thing or 70s thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I've heard them called easy A's or, you know, those kinds of things. But so what, so what we're saying here though, is that 
art in your family, in your culture, and I think, frankly, in our wider culture, is not seen as a value. It's not seen as legit. Like there's the real jobs and then there's those other jobs. If you're an artist, a writer, uh, I mean, until your money, until your art or your writing or your whatever starts taking, making money, then all of a sudden you're legit, right? But people still don't get it. I think even at that point, even then, (laughs) even then, I feel like some don't, some do and really um, celebrate it, which is exciting. And I've seen a growth over the, the last few years, I would say the last maybe 10 to 20 years, actually. And I really think it's, you know, the day and age that we're in with technology. I think people are exposed to art more Mm. and see the creative process. And I'm hoping realizing more that there's so there's a huge variation between what you can create your skill level. It doesn't have to be, you know, a masterful artist or, you know, a Grammy winning musician or an award winning writer. There's so much in between that you can be and still be considered an artist, a writer, a musician. And that's something that I like to demystify as well um, around making art Mm -hmm. and calling yourself an artist and being okay with embracing that title, owning it and celebrating it too. Hmm. Even if it's not your profession. Yes. Especially if it's not your profession, because I feel when we're hobbyists, we often downplay our skills and ability as well. Hmm. So I'm a big advocate for calling yourself an artist. If you pick up a brush and you paint and you practice that painting and you enjoy that painting and you express that personal side of you, you are an artist. And it doesn't have to be great art hanging on, you know, gallery walls. Well, it took me about 10 years to call myself a writer. I wonder how long it'll take me to (laughs) call myself an artist. (laughs) I don't know. Because, because, you know, that, that little gremlin of comparison does kind of come into the brain, right? And says, well, you know, go to a museum. Those are artists. I mean, come on. Or I can look at what you paint, Nikki. I can look at what's even on the wall behind you as I'm looking at you through the video that our listeners can't see, but viewers might. I'm looking at your (laughs) art and thinking, well, I could never do that. So she's legit and I'm not. That, That devil of comparison is just so nasty but i i don't i don't think that's exclusive to art i mean i think that can be people comparing their their body shape or people comparing their athletic ability or people comparing their financial earning power or their hierarchy in their company or whatever it's we have this way of delegitimizing ourselves all the time don't we yeah we're really good at that aren't we i think it only takes one negative comment to get in our heads and to make us doubt what we want to be or what we want to achieve or what we want to practice. And I'm going to tell you a story early on. I'd say when I was in university, I was studying everything from political science to English lit. And then I finally landed on sociology and anthropology and then loved what I was studying. And again, I always had that creative calling. I even left university for a year to go to art school, just at a local college. And I think too, because I didn't ever go to art school legitimately, I thought, well, who am I to call myself an artist? I'm not, I haven't studied art in that formal way, but I had a friend who wasn't very supportive. And sometimes other people can unintentionally put their self-limiting beliefs on you. Mm. And she was looking at a piece of my art that I had painted and was really proud of. This is when I was just a hobby artist. 
and um, just needed to express that side of me. She said, oh, I can see your pencil lines. And that devastated me. I thought, oh, does that mean I'm not a good artist because she can see my pencil th lines through the painting? And for years I thought, oh my God, I'm not a good artist if you can see. But it was because of something that maybe she, and it was very negative. It was very, it kind of hurt my, my creative soul a little bit. But it also echoed this own self-doubt that you carry around with you it too. Exasperated it. It, it, it conspires. <laughs> it's like in a, we could get 50 positive comments and one negative, and that negative comment conspires with that inner critic that we have in our, you know, I, I say that my inner critic is packaged to go. I carry her with me, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, that, that it conspires with that and talks us out of our legitimate aspirations or even our legitimate assessment of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Or it, it tells us what, um, what our parameters are. Hmm. Right. So if I see pencil lines, then that means that that wasn't a good piece of art that I created. But the funny thing is, is the next time I went into an art gallery, I went to look for pencil lines. And you know how many pencil lines I found in great pieces of art? Paintings. So if we're thinking about the painting, of course you need pencil lines if you're creating a sketch first that you're drawing from. And now I embrace pencil lines. And I don't know if you know, <laughs> even from my classes, when I say embrace right. the pencil lines, like don't think that you didn't create a good piece of art because you can still see your pencil lines through. I think that's what adds personality to our art. And it makes our art look like it's done by hand. Those imperfections, I celebrate them. Well, and Nikki, that's what I want to say about being in your class. And again, this isn't just about advertising Nikki's classes, though, although I think everybody should take them. But I, I've taken other classes some, from some other fabulous teachers, too. But they kind of show their finished perfect work. Or, or something that they are so adept at that I can't kind of keep up. And you are clearly adept at what you do. I'm not saying that, but you have this way of, you know, you drop your brush and it makes a blop on the page and you, and your, your frequent refrain is that's okay. Don't stress about <laughs> it. It's not a big deal. And there's this reassuring. And one time you had a piece of paper that had gotten a blop on it. And you said, well, I'm just going to work around. It. It's bothering me a little bit. I'm going to keep working around it. And pretty soon that blop was part of the painting. And I just, I looked at that and I thought, you know, that's not only a lesson in art, but it's metaphorical for how we live, you know, that it's never a finished draft. And it's okay. We... Yeah. If you paint something that isn't beautiful the first time around and there are parts of it that you think, oh, I don't love that. I want you to see my mistakes. I want you to see how I work around tension in my pieces. Because if I were to show you a very polished version, then you think that every time you sit down and paint, it needs to be polished as well. Or it doesn't happen that way. No. So I just, I like to, I like to be, um, I want to say authentic. I want to see re say real, but I don't know if those are the words really to describe, but I want it to be, I do. I want it to be an authentic experience where you have room to work out tension in your painting practice or sketching and know it's okay that you're not going to love everything you painted. And you often learn more from those painting experiences than you do when something goes fabulous and smooth. Right. It's the moments where you have a bit of tension. You're not sure what's going on. You're kind of working through your piece and then you learn something through that process. So that's why I don't create highly edited um, lessons. I don't edit myself out. If there's something that I don't really love um, when I finish painting, I keep it in. And I tell you what 
I would change about it. And I think that creates an environment for others to be okay with their painting practice, however it turns out. It's just the process um, of painting and sitting down to that practice. Well, and and there's another element of this too. And again, extrapolating this to things other than painting. I've witnessed you painting and you'll say, well, I'm, I'm not so happy with that that one, that, that pedal doesn't look right. Or that, you know, that tree looks a little clunkier, whatever it is. I'm not so happy. Oh, but I really like this one. This one worked out well. So it's not as though you're just, you know, it's like giving the soccer trophies to every single kid, whether they won or lost. It's, it's not that it's not like everything is beautiful and perfect and you're being Pollyanna about it. It's about having an assessment yourself about what you like and what you don't like as much and, and letting both of those things live side by side, even on the same page or saying, okay, but, and and you always say, don't throw your, don't throw your errors away, keep them, put the date on the back, and then you can look back at them and you can see if you've improved. So it's always kind of coming back to this self-assessment of your process and and your product. And I've been posting for, uh, for several months now, since I think about September, I didn't even start painting with you until December, but I started posting and I just called them art experiments and people are constantly commenting on the process, on the product. Oh, I like that one, or I don't like that one. And that's fine. That's, but that's not what it's about for me. It's about, wait a minute. It's about me discovering and kind of working these muscles of creative expression in a visual form. And frankly, also, and this is what I want to kind of shift to with you as well, which is that painting as well as other creative endeavors or for other people walks in nature or athletics or whatever it might be painting for you and painting and how you teach it. And I experience it is also a stress relieving kind of a thing. Can you say a little bit about what, what your art expression does for you on an emotional, psychological, spiritual level? Mm -hmm, For sure. I think um, just innately, we need to connect to, just tactile expressions of whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's, you know, we're cooking or painting or gardening. It's, it's that self-expression when we can do something and connect to our inner self and just a really meditative state. I love to be able to sit and meditate for, you know, 20 minutes a day and be still. That's not me. No, for me, I need to be doing something. And I when I'm painting, I don't listen to anything. Sometimes actually, I listen to podcasts. Um, I, I try not to have any distractions around me so that I can just focus in on what's happening on my paper. I want to observe um, how the paint starts to spread and move and the sound that my brush makes as it, you know, strokes across the page. Mm. Because when I do that is when I'm most connected to my art practice, but not in a very conscious way where I'm forcing things to happen. I'm almost observing the moments as they're happening um, without me specifically creating them, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's this really mindful session of, I'm just going to observe the paint and the color and see what happens. And then that's almost uh, energizing my paint strokes Mm. as I paint. So it is a very mindful watercolor is a slow process. And I always say slow down, um, you know, sort of enjoy watching your paint move. And that slow process is very different from the rest of my life. We talked about this where it's, you know, we're very busy and we have to move fast and we're always going places and doing things and having to catch up. So my watercolor practice becomes something that is very still for me. 
I often do it in the morning with my morning cup of coffee. It's not like I spend five hours painting on my desk. I wish that was my life. It's not. As a creative entrepreneur, it's completely different. Well, yeah, you have emails to answer and publishers to account to and, you know, to say nothing of laundry and those kinds of matters, <laughs> you know, those, those practical things. Well, you know, and I know that you use a lot of different kind of media, mm -hmm. you know, other artistic expressions, and that's wonderful. But I'm focused specifically on watercolor because... And I wonder if this is true for you too. For me, what has happened with this particular medium is that on a spiritual, emotional, psychological level, it's sort of this metaphorical experiment with the balance between surrender and control. You know, like Very well water <laughs> does what water does and you can plan, you know, it's, I assume I, I don't play with oils or acrylics, so I don't know, but you know, when you put oil paint on the paper, it, it goes where you put it. That is not always the case with watercolor. Sometimes it goes differently or it blossoms or blooms differently than you expected it to, or the paint colors run together in a way that you didn't want them to. And sometimes that's a happy accident and sometimes it turns a mess. It can be frustrating. It can be frustrating, but it's, it's also, to me, it's like, oh, I'm having to kind of give up a little bit of my natural control freak self, just a little bit, my perfectionistic self. Do, do you find that you're playing with that? Well, I, I have a very loose approach now to art. So, you know, going back to years ago, again, I was very structured in what I thought art was supposed to look like. I thought only um, artists who created realism were really considered art artists anyone who was working on sort of abstract art that wasn't taken seriously so i've really had to teach myself over the years to become less rigid in my own personal practice and to become more loose and flowy with what i create so it is a process and it did take a lot of time and practice to break out of that um, so now I embrace, and that's again, something I teach and I, I know we keep going back to the classes, but it's the philosophy around creating art. And I guess you could apply it. I hope you can apply it to different things, but it's just being okay with letting the blooms happen, letting the colors run together. That's the beauty of the watercolor medium. So instead of fighting against it, I teach you how to actually just let them be and, and embrace see it. what happens in the end and, and embrace it. Um, yeah, and just celebrate it. Have fun with it. Watercolor can be a frustrating medium if you try to control it. But if you have, you know, the correct techniques and you let the blooms happen and, again, let the colors bleed, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's the only medium that you can get this great texture. I'm looking at watercolors on my desk. That's distracting me. But it's the <laughs> only medium. And I paint with everything from acrylic to oils. It's the only one where you can just let it be. And there is such gorgeous texture um, and finishes when it dries that looks completely different from when it's wet. Well, there's some magic that happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me go back then just to what we were talking about. There was this bridge between this, the way that you were working, that you were working in the makeup industry and in, uh, you did professional makeup for brides and those kinds of things. And also for movies and TV and all of that, which is another kind of artistic expression, perfectly legitimate, but there was something that still, that wasn't still quite enough for you. Tell me about how you bridged between having art as part of a profession versus the transition to having art be your business and your practice. Sure. How, how did Life I Design get started? 
I'm going to tell you that right now, actually, because I think <laughs> okay. that's a really good segue into what, what I want to share as well. So um, I worked corporate when I graduated from university and I had a really good um, corporate job. We got married. I married my high school sweetheart. We bought our first home and um, I was trying to get pregnant with our first child and was having a hard time. And I said to my husband, I think I just want to take a makeup class or something. Again, looking for ways to express my art. I was sewing curtains for a house. I had drawn a beautiful mural of a silhouette of a woman with charcoal on our wall, directly onto our wall in our living room. So I was always looking for ways to fulfill that creative part of me um, and just doing it for fun. And so I thought this makeup class would be a good distraction for trying to get pregnant and not having a great time with it. The day I signed up for my Saturday morning makeup class at our local community college was literally the day I found out I was pregnant with our first. Mm. So I had taken a class through a semester and really fallen in love with the fact that I could use women's faces as a live canvas and it wasn't permanent. I could, you know, remove anything that I didn't like, but I saw contours and shadows and highlights and and then the transformation of watching a woman you know, go from feeling maybe not so great about herself to being really um, happy. I was very, um, I was very natural handed with my makeup. So whenever I did makeup, it was never garish or heavy. It was always just enhancing women's features. And again, when I think about women who say, oh, I don't like my nose or I don't like my lips, then I would say, okay, let's not focus on that. And let's focus on your eyes. You've beautiful eyes. So just like a painting. So if there's something that you're feeling a bit of tension around, then I, you know, think we should focus on something that's working and that we're enjoying, right? So it's the philosophy around let's focus on something that's a little bit more easygoing right now. We'll go back to something that's a little bit harder later on. So I managed to leave my full-time corporate job. I got pregnant with my second child. So I have a son and a daughter and I was really thriving doing makeup. It was just a natural progression of word of mouth. I was doing weddings and um, personal makeup. And then suddenly I was doing television and photo shoots and then teaching workshops. And I said to my husband, I want to stay home with the kids full time, but still be a makeup artist part time and be able to leave the house and get a break from the kids, have them have a break from me and be able to earn some money and contribute um, while you can go off and, and build your corporate life. And that was, it worked really well. It was a busy life. My husband traveled quite a bit. Um, long hours on set for me was a reality. Sometimes I'd bring the kids with me. I'd wake up early um, on weekends to do weddings. And then it got to a point where I realized I was I was spending a lot of time outside of the house on weekends when it was our family time and there mm. were things we couldn't do. Because that's when weddings and events happen. And yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't book weekends away with the kids and my husband because I had weddings booked. And that was a big part of my income, my revenue stream from weddings was a big chunk of it. So I couldn't give that up. But you know, 13 years later, my kids were older, they didn't need me as much. I was falling out of love for how much time I was spending on doing makeup. And really, just wanted to try art, like it was always something that was sort of the back of my mind. And you know, I was turning 40. And I thought, now is the time I've never really truly been able to lean into being an artist. And I wonder what that's like. And I was watching an episode of this is this is a really funny story. I don't know if I've ever shared this actually. Uh, I was watching an episode of Grand Tour. Is it Grand Tour? It's the um, car show 
It's based in um, the UK originally, but it's three guys who get to drive cars around and test out <laughs> all these cars and have these adventures. And we we're watching the American version. I was sitting with the kids. My kids and husband love the show too. And I thought these three hosts probably never grew up thinking one day I'm going to be a host of a car show and travel the world and have all these fun adventures and make money from it. And that will be my, my living. I, and I said to my husband in the moment, I said, I want to be an artist. I want to make money from my art and I want to enjoy my art practice and see what happens. So I took a six month sabbatical and I thought I'm going to finally live the life that I design. As occasionally happens, <laughs> technology was really rude today and it interrupted and cut off the last few moments of my conversation with Nikki Trakos. So rather than re-record, because I so loved our conversation, uh, I wanted to fill you in on a bit more of what she said. Our conversation went on and I got to enjoy it, but technology took it away from the recording. So I went on to ask Nikki about when things get difficult, when she has doubts or fears or worries about her business, doubts about her art, whatever it might be, or when she's overwhelmed or facing an obstacle. And she gave a response that's not unlike what so many of our other Morning Glory Project guests have said, and that is that she said she finds nature to be a restorative place, that taking a walk in nature helps her get perspective. But in addition to that, she also said that she often takes a walk with her husband, her partner, whom she calls her high school sweetheart, and that he's a supportive listener that, that doesn't always offer a solution, but listens and lets her kind of puzzle things through, sometimes offers an insight, and that by airing it with him, just by putting it out there, somehow it gets smaller. And I often tell people, and I often remind myself, that boogeymen live in the dark. That's where they grow. And by dark, I mean, when we have a worry or a shame or a secret or an anxiety that when we tuck it away, when we hide it from others, when we secret it away into the dark places of ourselves, it grows. And when we air it, when we bring it out to a supportive partner or friend or colleague, or sibling, or therapist, that it shrinks it, it gets smaller. The other thing that we talked about just at the very end of our conversation was this notion of having a life that one designs yourself. Not everybody has the capacity to change careers to do the thing that they would really love and get paid for it. If you do and you can, that's fabulous. And sometimes that takes a lot of courage. It's a leap of faith. But if you can't, if you have obligations that keep you doing what you're doing, finding ways to infuse more of your passion into your work, finding ways to, to build that in outside of work. I wrote my first novel in my commute back and forth on the ferry from my home to San Francisco because I couldn't really quit my job. We had financial obligations and little kids and all of those things. So quitting wasn't an option at that moment, but I was able to fit my passion around that. And it made my commute, it made me actually look forward to my commute, believe it or not. <laughs> and that was helpful. But maybe for you, it's 
about taking a cooking class and learning to, to cook differently, or maybe it's gardening, or maybe it's maybe it's taking up watercolor. But even if you never touch a brush, finding your passion and designing your life, I think that's a huge extra bloom. If watercolor specifically is something you're interested in, I'm going to pitch Nikki's book because it's delightful. Watercolors Made Simple by Nikki Trakos. That's T-R-A-I-K-O-S. Available by order through your local indie bookstore or, if you must, by that online bookseller. Those are lots of extra blooms, and I hope that you will take them and find a way to have more of your design as part of your life. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope that wherever you are, that you find your way to bloom.